Thank you, Matt. Hebrews and chapter 1. Hebrews and chapter 1. So here's, here's how the story goes. The, the four children lived in London and, and they were surviving the bombing by going to the countryside. You heard this story? So in the story, the way the story goes, they go to a, a big house in the countryside and then they do like little children would do. They start to explore the big house in the countryside and they come into a large room that has a big wardrobe in the end and they go through the doors into the wardrobe and they find themselves in another land that they go between the coats in the wardrobe into a, a land called Narnia. Oh, you know this story then. And there's a lamppost and it's winter time in Narnia and there's something bad going on. It's like, it's like they say it's always winter, but it's never Christmas. That's my message title today. I borrowed it from that children's book by C.S. Lewis, The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, The Witch, The Wardrobe. It's always winter, but it's never Christmas. It's, so they go in and, and they eventually, they bump into a family of beavers, friendly beavers that try to explain things to them. And, and how the white witch has made it always winter and never Christmas, and they're pretty negative about that. And then they hear of this Aslan, who, as you probably know, is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And something warms their hearts when they hear of Aslan. And then Lucy, she asks a question about Aslan, the lion. She says, famously, is he safe? Is he safe? And said Mr. Beaver, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he is good. He's a king, I tell you. Mr. Tumnus also says, he's wild, you know. He's not a tame lion. In John chapter 1, we see about Jesus that he's more than just a little baby in the manger, but he is the creator of the cosmos. He's the word of God. He's very God of very God. Never had a beginning, will never have an end. In Colossians chapter 1, all of that is repeated. In Hebrews 1, we're only going to pay attention to the seven different, the sevenfold description of Jesus in verses 1 through 3 today. But there are three groups of people that this epistle to the Hebrews was written. Obviously, Hebrews, Jews, believing Jews would be one group. They would be reading Hebrews. It would be believing Jews. Another group that would be reading Hebrews would be professing Jews. Jews that said they are believers, but they, but they weren't truly believers. And then there would be another group of unbelievers. Here's interest, what's interesting to me. As I studied this, uh, to preach this uh, Christmas sermon, this Advent sermon to you, it occurred to me that one of the big buzzwords going around the Christian world today is the buzzword deconstruction. And, and, and it can mean a couple of things. It, it can mean when a person is turning away from God and from the, the Christian faith and from the truth of the Bible altogether. Sometimes it's called deconstruction. And, and other times it can be when a person is taking certain things that they were taught and, and considering them unscriptural or, or unbiblical or unhealthy and setting them aside. Unfortunately, the term deconstruction is used for both of those things. And those things are very different. 
But it occurred to me as I was studying this that one of the best places in the Bible for a person to go when they're trying to discover what should stay and what should go, what should remain, and what should be discarded is the book of Hebrews. Because the book of Hebrews is written to people who are trying to decide what is true and what is not true. What should I believe and what should I not believe? What religious... religious, Actions should I continue and what religious actions should I discontinue? What's the way of truth and what is the way what is what is false? And I'll give you the conclusion because we don't have uh, You know a long time today. We, we just have the, the time uh, say between now and noon and to say this that, that the book of Hebrews says Jesus Christ is greater than any other thing in all of creation in all of religion in all of history and all the future and on all the past Jesus is greater and there's a list of things that Jesus is greater than. And if you're thinking about your faith, the one thing you must not discard is who Jesus is. And if you want your faith to be strong, you want a very strong, resolute conviction about who Jesus is. And one of the best ways to do that would be to study John chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1, Revelation chapter 1. I was out selling fuller brush one day. My first uh, church after we were married, I needed to supplement my income. So I sold fuller brush door to door. And that way I could sell, sell things and I could make money. I could, I could also witness. And I was on a country road one day and I ran into a nest of people that were in a cult that denied the deity of Christ. It was called the Way International. And the head of it was a guy named Victor Paul Weirwill. He was the head of the Way International. And the cult didn't believe that Jesus is God. They were very overt about it. And so when I got into this uh, house and I sat down at the table, there were two or three couples that all lived together in this house. And, they, and I was very, very young. I think I was maybe 21. And um, I knew the truth. I didn't always know why I knew the truth or where to find it in the Bible. But I had been taught well, and so they denied the deity of Christ, and I, I, my argument was something like, uh-uh. <laughs> and then it was a little more sophisticated than that. I found a few Bible verses. I, I did an inadequate job of defending the deity of Christ from the Bible. I really did. It was really poor. And I remember driving my car away that day and thinking to myself, that will never happen to me again. Because the Bible teaches that Jesus is very God, a very God. Jesus is God. The deity of Christ is true. It's a key, the heart of the Christian faith that Jesus is God. Then I should be able to show people in the Bible where they can find that. And so I'm telling you my, my little device there, the John 1 and the Colossians 1, the Hebrews 1 and Revelation 1, and you know those aren't the only places, but they are powerful. Wouldn't you agree? They are powerful places in the Bible. It's been really not that hard to preach at Advent because all I've really done is refer to these passages and read them carefully uh, to you and have you consider them. And when you do that, then there are, if you will, necessary implications. If this is true, then this should be true. And what we'll see in a very powerful way, we will see that here. I want to show you seven reasons here in the text, really, to be practical, not to push Jesus to the margin of your life. Seven, the, the sevenfold description of Jesus practically are seven really powerful reasons to make sure that he is at the heart of your life, that he is your Savior and Lord. And let me go over those today. 
And in, in, uh, in just three verses here, we discover that Jesus is God's final word to humanity. And this writer of Hebrews, whoever it is, gives this sevenfold description. We'll read it again, long, just the first three verses. Long ago, and many times, and in many places, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's talking about the time between the advents of Jesus. This is short, but the time from the time of the ascension of Jesus, the time of return, is, is in essence the last days. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. Who is he talking about? He's talking about Jesus very clearly. In these last days, he's focused by his son, that's Jesus, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through him, through whom he created the world. Keep asking yourself as we read this, why is that important to me? Why is that important to me? Why is that important to me? He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. In this are a sevenfold description of Jesus and reasons not to put Jesus in the margin of your life. Number one, the baby of Christmas is the heir of all things by whom he, he, whom he appointed the heir or the one who would inherit all things. To say that God has appointed Jesus heir of all things means that God has given everything to his son. The deepest oceans belong to his son. The farthest stars belong to his son. The darkest corners of the cosmos belong to his son. The highest mountains belong to his son. The ugliest and the most beautiful things in the world belong uh, to the son. And today, it doesn't appear that everything belongs to Jesus because Satan is a squatter who illegally claims the earth as his domain. And in God's providence, this is something he has allowed. But in the end, Satan will be overthrown. Jesus will inherit his, right, his rights, his rightful rights as king of the universe. And that means that when you come to the end of everything, Jesus is there. It may seem from a brief glance at the scoreboard that Satan is winning. But the game's not over yet. Pastors, sometimes they call each other. How is it going? And what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to report the, the numbers. You know, how is it going? Well, this, that. One day, I had that conversation with an old, wise, godly pastor. He's, how's it going? I tell him, I say to him, how's it going? He says, well, it's a lot like baseball. We're not going to know until the final score is in. It's a lot like Jeopardy. You might be winning now, but in the end, you might lose. Or you might be losing now, in the end, you might win. Or it's a, lo a little bit like um, Pilgrim's Progress. You remember in Pilgrim's Progress, the pilgrim makes his way to the, to the city, but there's a gate to hell at the very, there's a way to hell at the very gate of heaven, and there's a way to heaven at the very gate of hell. It, it, it ain't over until it's over. Jesus is the king of the universe, and he is about to... He's about to, to uh, show his crown rights in a very powerful way. Even in desperate places, remember this, Jesus is king. Even when you're in a desperate place, remember that Jesus is king. He's the heir of all things. Isaac Watts put it this way in a great hymn, 1719. Jesus shall reign where'er the sun does its successive journeys run. 
This kingdom spread from shore to shore till moons shall wax and wane no more. David said it this way in Psalm 2 and verse 8, as ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. This is a messianic psalm. Paul wrote in Philippians 2.10, at the name of Jesus, you know this, every knee will bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And And there's more to this. So Jesus is the heir of all things, and this is just fantastic. This is a shocking thing to say. It, 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 it almost just seems scandalous. Jesus is the heir of all things from God. And the scriptures say that those of us who know the Lord are joint heirs with Christ of all things. This is a shocking thing. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, where does it say that in my Bible? That's what you're thinking, right? Where does it say that? No, you're thinking, I know where it says that. Listen to this. Romans chapter 8, verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. You want that witness of the Holy Spirit in your heart that you're a child of God. Verse 17. If children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, we'll also be glorified together. What belongs to God belongs to Jesus. What belongs to Jesus belongs to believers. He's the heir of all things. So if you push Jesus to the margins... Forfeit your inheritance. Question that we should ask ourselves over and over again today is in every way is Jesus the Lord of my life? In every way is Jesus at the heart of my affections, at the heart of my schedule, at the heart of my thinking, in the center of my life? Because he's the center of the universe. He's the center of the heart of God. Should he not be the center of your heart? Here's the second thing. The baby of Christmas is not only the heir of all things, he is the creator of the universe. This is repeated over and over again. Through whom he also made the cosmos, the universe. Jesus is an agent of creation, Lord of the epics of history. The word for world here isn't cosmos, it's ages. Let's just take one thing God created and think about it. We We could think about a lot of things. Let's just think of one thing. Let's think of the human body. Let's make this personal. Not only did the Lord Jesus create the universe, he created you. He created your body. Psalm 139 says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. That's got to be an understatement. It's amazing. Every human body. So the average adult heart beats 72 beats a minute. That's about where mine is right now. Maybe not today, but when I check it right now. It might be higher. You guys might be bringing my blood pressure up. I don't know. In the course of one day, the heart beats over 100,000 times. In one year, the heart beats 38 million times. And by, by the time you're 70 years old, it will beat 2.5 billion times. The average heart pumps 1.3 gallons per minute, pumps 1,900 gallons per day, pumps 700 gallons per, uh, 700,000 gallons per year. It pumps 48 million gallons by the time you're 78 years old. It's not bad for a, for a 10-ounce pump. That's just one little tiny piece of God's creation. Now, the story of humanity, where does it start? Does it start in Genesis 3 at the fall? Or does it start in Genesis 1 at the creation? It starts in Genesis 1 at the creation. Does it end when God takes care of sin? Or does it end when God restores creation? You got where I'm going with that, right? The story starts 
when God creates the world, and it doesn't end until God restores the world and everything in it. And this is the story of the Bible. It's the great, wonderful meta-narrative. That's where the story starts. That's where the story will end. Sometimes we look at nature. Jerry Dennis, a favorite author of mine, who's an unbeliever, he said once while he was looking out over Lake Superior, there was a dark malevolence in it greater than any I could ever have imagined. And it always offended me when I read that. I thought, he's so wrong. He's so wrong. He says there's a dark malevolence that's greater. And I thought the other day, he wasn't entirely wrong about that. Because the fallen universe, not yet redeemed, there's a dark hatred in it. If you don't believe me, like we could drive to Kentucky and we could see where an entire city was wiped off. This is, it's, an, it's an occasion of, uh, the fa- of, of an example of the fallen world that we're in. But one day God's going to restore all that. He's going to withdraw all the dark hatred out of the world. And he, is the, he, he not only is the one who created everything, he, he is the one who's going to redeem creation. This is the Jesus of, the, of Christmas. This is the little baby Jesus, meek and mild. So this is very powerful. And if you push Jesus to the margins, you forfeit your inheritance. And if you push Jesus to the margins, you miss out on the redemption of all things and the recreation of all things. And that for which your deepest soul longs, you you can't get into the ultimate world. Lewis wrote about the ultimate world and how the ultimate world was inaccessible to us now in the weight of glory, this powerful message in the weight of glory. He talks about that world and how we can't get into it But then he says, but all the leaves of the New Testament, if you know me, you know this is one of my favorites, all the leaves of the New Testament rustle with a rumor that it will not always be so. In other words, there there are broad hints in the Bible, direct statements in the Bible, wonderful poetic nudges in the Bible, that there's going to be a time when you and I can follow our great captain through the crack in the world into the great ultimate world. And this is the thing that Christians long for and hope for. And it's only possible because of the Bethlehem baby, Jesus. He's the creator of the universe. He's the heir of all things. Three, the baby of Christmas is the radiance of the glory of God. Verse three, Herod Agrippa, the first, I believe the grandson of Herod the Great, he staged a public appearance one day. We know this because... It's recorded in the Bible, not just in history. It's also recorded in history. It's recorded in historic narratives of the Bible in Acts in chapter 12. If you ever visited the Holy Land, they would take you to a place called Caesarea. There are two major Caesareas, but Caesarea by the sea, Maritima, was the, was the um, uh, huge uh, building project of Herod, one of his... Herod the Great's huge building progress. There's a hippodrome there. There's a palace there. There's an aqueduct there. There's a there's a huge uh, uh, there's a huge harbor there. But there's also wherever this Greek influence and Roman influence up, there was a huge amphitheater there. And this was unique. This amphitheater was built so that it would face the rising sun. And Herod Agrippa arranged a time where he had uh, an outfit that was spectacular, that was a shining outfit. And he would take his shining outfit and he would time it up so that he would give his oration just as the sun came over the lip of the amphitheater. So the sun would shine on him and he would look glorious and bright. And he he received the glory of men. And what, what does the Bible say happened? 
And Herod, he fell down and he was eaten of worms because he wouldn't give God the glory. The glory belongs to God, to his son, our Savior Jesus, who is the expression of God's glory, the radiance of God's glory. And it, our, our lives won't be properly aligned or, or rightly understood. If we push Jesus to the margins, you live and die in arrogance, and you live and die in ignorance, and you live and die in spiritual and moral darkness. And this happens to people all the time. And some of these people say they're Christians. You know, they want a little Jesus shelf with a little God shelf with a little Jesus God on their shelf, or, or a little Jesus they talk warmly about. Or, or a little Jesus that they call upon when they, when they need a little help with something that they're doing. But not the king of glory, the Lord of my life. I'll obey whatever he says. I'll repent of anything he tells me to repent of. John 8, 12, Jesus said, he spoke in John 8, 12, he said, I am the light of the world, and he who follows me will not walk in darkness but have a light of life. He won't walk in ignorance. He won't walk in arrogance. He won't walk in spiritual and moral darkness. If you want brightness, if you want light, you need Christ. Without Christ at the heart, without really honoring him as the Lord of your life, then you will be in darkness. Now, here's a fourth thing. The baby Jesus is the heir of all things. The baby Jesus is the creator of the universe. The baby Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. The baby Jesus is the exact representation of God's nature. So if you push Jesus to the margins, you never really get a clear picture of who God is. He is the exact imprint, the stamp, the imprint of the being of God. You want to know what God is like, we don't have to guess, we look at Jesus. To know what God is like, we look at Jesus, we, you hear people say, well, I feel this about God, or I think that about God, or the God that I serve wouldn't do this or wouldn't do that. We don't have the right to say any of that. Because we have a representation of who God is in Jesus. We only have the right to point to Jesus and say, this is God. Jesus is God. Jesus represents God. What Jesus said is right is right. What Jesus said is wrong is wrong. All we have to do, this, is, this will help you in the matter of constructing a faith are deconstructing something that shouldn't be in your faith, and that is Jesus needs to be the heart of your faith, who is the exact representation of who God is. Here's the fifth thing. Baby of Christmas is the sustainer of all things. He's the heir of all things. He's the creator of the universe. He's the radiance of God's glory. He's the exact representation of God's nature. He's the sustainer of all things. It's an amazing claim. It's a shocking claim. He makes everything work and keep working. He's the sustainer of all things by the power of his word, verse 3. He's the nucleus of creation. He's the glue of the galaxies. He holds everything big together. This, he holds you together. If you ever felt like you're coming apart, you ever felt like things, there's, a, there's a lack of personal integrity just keeping your stuff together, he's the one who helps you keep your stuff together. You want to have a marriage that's together, you need the one who holds the universe together. You say, well, no, things aren't perfect. No, he didn't say they would be. But he's the, he's the one who sustains or holds together all things. Not chaos, the state of things in which chance is supreme, or confused, or disorganized, a state of primordial, primordial uh, matter before the creation of distinct forms, but cosmos, or orderliness, or harmony, or systematic harmony. God is behind all that. Jesus is behind all that. So there's a delicate balance of the universe. They say the size of the Earth's orbit was created just right. If the size of the Earth's orbit had been any different, we would have an uninhabitable Earth. 
They say the tilt of the earth is just right. If it was any different, we wouldn't have the seasons that we have. The moon's orbit is created just right, or the tides would devastate the earth. The thickness of the atmosphere was created just exactly right, or meteors would wreak havoc on the earth. God created the world and sustains the world, and Jesus created the world and sustains the world. So if you push Jesus to the margins, you can never keep it together any more than the universe could keep it together. Things would inevitably come apart. And you might want to ask yourself, if things are coming apart in your life, in what way do you need to allow Jesus back to the center, to the heart, to the throne, to the place of, of Lord? Number six, the baby... Christmas is our Savior. I love this, obviously. After he had provided purification for our sins, he, he verse uh, 3, is the radiance of the glory of God, exact imprint of his nature, opposed the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. They say you a lot of a lot of description on that. For him to sit down would have been to this reader, to the Hebrew reader, would have been a real shocking thing. Because the priest never sat down. His job was never completely done. But Jesus fully and finally and completely dealt with our sins. Is that a good thing? Is that a good thing? Oh. Let me ask you. You go, is that a trick question? I know what you're thinking. Like, wait a minute. I think it's a good thing. Like anything in your life that you're... Sorry to bring this up, but let's just do this for a minute. Anything in your life you're ashamed of? Is there a moment in your life, a few moments in your life, a series of actions in your life you wish you could redo? Yeah. You're quiet because that's the way it is. Am I right? There are things that we're all ashamed of. There are things that we all wish we could take off of our record if we could just make them go away if they just didn't happen. But you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't undo things. But God can redeem and save and he can forgive. And, 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 and uh, he has. This is what Jesus has done. He's our savior. The baby of Christmas is our savior. For this reason alone, you ought to make him Lord. Just for the, your guilt. For your guilt alone. <laughs> That's the greatest Christmas tree ever. When we first got married, I thought, I'm going to get the greatest Christmas tree ever. So I went to the grocery store and I bought this tree. And it was hanging by a rope. And I got home and I realized it was hanging by a rope because the trunk was crooked. And I, you remember this, Lewis, and I cut the trunk off. It was so short and fat. And I remember it just felt like such a failure as a husband to bring home a tree like that. And, we, and Lois looked at it and she goes, it's kind of fat and short. And it took me hours. Remember that? It took me hours to get it in there. It was really beautiful when we got done, but it was kind of short and fat. But the next year we got a prettier one. And then every year thereafter, we always got a prettier tree, bigger, prettier. We, I got stories I could tell. Do you doubt this? I got stories that I could tell about Christmas trees. And, and yet, the greatest Christmas tree is the one that First Peter talks about, the tree upon which Jesus sheds blood. He gave his life on the tree for sinners like you and, and sinners like me. Aren't you glad that's true? What if Christmas was all about try harder, be better, try to be nice? What if Christmas was all about, you know, be, give, be giving and be kind and, and, and pr pray for peace on earth? What if that's all that Christmas was about? That would be so tragic. That would be so sad. Christmas is about Jesus Christ, the heir of all things, the radiance of the Father's glory, the Savior of the world. It's about Jesus. And Jesus is not just the Savior of the world. 
He's your Savior, and you need a Savior, and I need a Savior. But if you push Jesus to the margins, you're lost, and you're guilty, and you're condemned, and you're hopeless. That's awful. Seven, the baby Jesus is now seated at God's right hand. Allow me to review. Baby Jesus is the creator of the universe. He's the radiance of God's glory. He's the exact representation of the nature of God. He's the sustainer of all things. He's our savior, and he's seated at the right hand of God, sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Forty days after his resurrection, he ascended. Ten days later, he sent the Holy Spirit. And God has given him a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So today we confess Jesus by faith. I plead with you. I beg you to confess Christ by faith. And you say, if everything in the world changes, I will put Jesus at the center of my life. He's the center of the universe. He's my Lord and my Savior and my King. I don't just admire him. I adore him. I don't just adore him. I worship him. I don't just worship him. I follow him. He's the boss of my life. He's the king of my life. I'll go where he says to go, do what he says to do, say what he says to say. And this is the path, the clearest path to gladness, the clearest path to joy. It's not that you have to. It's that you get to. You don't have to wonder about the way that's right or happy or joyful. There's a camp that I used to speak at up north, and they have a sign when you go in that says, how to experience life at its best. That, that's true. Life at its best is only for those who have Christ at the heart of their life. He's the heir of all things, the creator of the universe, radiance of the glory of God, exact representation of God's nature, sustainer of all things, our savior, so you can be the heir of all things, so that you can be destined for redemption, so that you can walk in the light and the truth of freedom and not in the darkness and desperation of ignorance and sin and arrogance, and so that you will know who God is and so that you will hold your life together and so that he will rescue you from judgment and so that one day you will be in the presence of God. That's who Jesus is. That's the one whose birth we celebrate at Christmas. This is the true identity of the baby born to Mary Somebody said it like this. To the architect, he is the chief cornerstone. To the banker, he's the hidden treasure in a field. To the baker, he's the living bread. To the builder, he's the sure foundation. To the medical worker, he's the great physician. To the educator, he is the master teacher. To the farmer, he's the lord of the harvest. To the florist, he's the lily of the valley. To the geologist, he's the rock of ages. Is he your king? Is he your lord? Based on this, do you really love and serve Jesus? Do you really know him? And so in, in, in Narnia, there's a darkness, there's a coldness that's over the entire land. And the, and the white witch has seen to it that there's always winter, but there's never Christmas. And whenever she comes around, she rides a big sleigh, you know. And the children one day heard the sleigh coming, and they, they cowered in fear until they realized that it wasn't the white witch. It was a big, jovial man. It was, do you remember? It was Father Christmas. This is a great story. It was Father Christmas. It, it, and he, he said, she's kept me out for a long time, but her magic, he says of the white witch, her magic is weakening. And he says this, remember this? Aslan is on the move. That's what he said. That's kind of my favorite part right there. And everyone's heart leaped up. Aslan is on the move. The white witch has kept Christmas at bay long enough 
and the lion is on the move. Jesus is doing something. And so he says, Aslan is on the move in chapter 10 of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And Merry Christmas, and long live the true king. And today we shiver, and we, we, we're cold, and we're sad, and we watch the news, and we look in our own hearts, our own history, and our, our own past, our own families, and, and the dysfunction that, that breaks all of us, and it, and it can be discouraging, and we can say, why is it always winter, but it's never Christmas? But Jesus is coming. Merry Christmas. Long live the true king. That's something to think about. Hey, we got plenty of time here. Why don't we have